0: When we demystify these people that we put on pedestals, like how do we then have them as people to look up to, people who have a, a mystique about them? Like that? But that's part of like charm, I think, of like how icons used to be, how celebrity used to be. Now it's like anyone can seemingly be a celebrity. So what is it that makes these people stand out? Well, it's their art, it's their craft, and it's their values.
1: Emma Shuldham is the Managing Director at ITB Worldwide, a global agency leader in harnessing the power of talent, influencer, and pop culture, and a partner of ours. London-based Shuldham goes in depth into the current state of culture, how peer-to-peer relationships and content are driving the market forward, and the new and different uses of talent. Topics also range from the differences between influencer talent in Europe, America, and the rest of the world, to dressing A-list celebrities during award season, and to the shift of the word community. Emma continues to set the bar high in this space.
0: The state of influence and culture in 2020 to me is democratic. It is um, community-driven, and I think it is uh, multidisciplinary. I think what we've seen in how... Artists and content makers and creatives um, in their different disciplines, they are now an architect, a designer, a DJ. You know they have many different um, limbs, and I think we're going to see that permeate more um, in 2020.
1: Do you think that obviously social platforms have allowed all of these people to have a voice and an audience? Is it also just a generational thing in terms of how the next generation of people think and act? I think it...
0: I think it has become that I don't think it was mm. how it was to begin with. And I think it has now become an extension of, of how we live and breathe for better or worse. Um, and I think that comes then to how kind of influencer and like the marketing of it has shifted. Um, and, you know, we've almost come full circle um, with the rise of kind of um, regulations and, what you can and can't do and should be saying, not saying, and people's fear of saying something wrong. Um, I think actually you're seeing it come a bit full 60 into working with one or two kind of like, superstars still. And I think it's finding that balance because I think what influencer is moving into is community and peer-to-peer and people who you trust, who are your friends, who are your neighbors, who are at your school, at your college, at your work. And I think it's becoming much more about that than the random influencer that you don't necessarily know. And I think that's a really interesting shift.
1: Is that a a good shift or... It doesn't matter if it's a good or bad shift. It's just a shift that we're reacting to. I think it's a shift that we're reacting
0: to. And I think the impact of that shift means that you will still have like the trailblazers um, and the people of influence that kind of kickstart a conversation, kickstart a trend. But I don't think it's being generated... You know, there is still a cultural phenomenon that is a hook that then permeates down into localized cultures. And I think, you know, those like big hooks then require a big story, a big moment, a big uh, big conversation. Um, and it doesn't start with hundred influencers posting image of product.
1: Yeah. Is it harder today to break through clutter because of what you just said and so many people are doing the 100 random people doing sponsored posts and people maybe doing fewer campaigns?
0: I don't think there's fewer campaigns. Hmm. I think there's probably more campaigns than ever. Hmm. I think um, what you do need to think about is going beyond those 100 people posting. I mean, we do that. It is part of our business. But it's more and more we are challenging our clients to think beyond that isolated digital social moment and how does it actually interact with people's lives and other passion points, you know, from the live to the experiential Um to the shopping experience and the e-com, um, to what you read, to the podcast that you listen to. It's how you actually permeate all the different media platforms where consumers are and people are to make sure that you're part of the conversation.
1: Yeah, so give me an example of that, of a, a brand that does that really well, that's able to permeate and has figured out a way uh, through experiences and all those media platforms you're, you're sharing.
0: Um, I think that, hmm, that's a good one. I think what we're doing, and it's a beginning of a journey, um, we're about a year in and these things take time, is Pandora. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's how do you, uh, the jewelry brand, not the the music platform, mm-hmm. but how do you work with a jewelry brand that's been around for a very long time, that has gone through position per- Uh, perception shift to bring it back into relevance amongst a new audience and a new demographic and how do you weave influence to build on that message and what i really like about what they've been open to doing is 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 every layer of working with people of influence for different moments so there is millie bobby brown brown as a brand ambassador she generates that awareness she generates that immediate pr she generates and represents who they want their new customer to be then we get to work with a brilliant layer of what they call the Pandora Muses who are six amazing women who have different backgrounds who have different skills from actors to musicians to artists who kind of more represent um, a little more peer-to-peer and relatability to their audience but then it's also well, we're going to take this in-store and we're going to be curating kind of product that ties in with the values that we're seeing these amazing women represent. We're going to create experiential events where which are art installations, which are street art installations, where people can come and express themselves as well as be part of the brand experience that really has nothing to do with jewelry. It's all about how do we be the enablers of, of experience? And I think... That for me is where we've got to go beyond now because social media, I would say that social media killed the movie star. And I also used to say that, you know, I really love that. I don't know what Julie Roberts has for breakfast because she's not on social media, but she now is on social media, so I can't say that anymore. <laughs> but she, you know, when we demystify these people that we put on pedestals, like how do we then have them as people to look up to, people who have a, a mystique about them? Like that? But that's part of like the charm, I think, of like how how icons used to be, how celebrity used to be. Now it's like anyone can seemingly be a celebrity. So what is it that makes these people stand out? Well, it's their art, it's their craft, and it's their values. And it's like they're doing great music, they've done a great film, they've done a great TV show, they've done a great YouTube show. Apple TV have picked them up and they've, they've won a league. They've, you know, they've pushed themselves to somewhere that's inspiring. And those are the people now that I think are beginning to stand out.
1: Mm. And, and you mentioned it with a bit of Pandora, but it's also uh, of note that you're not just hiring people to do the same thing. Some are for influence. Others can amplify a message. Others can break through and give you the awareness. Has that changed or is there a, a deeper focus on understanding why somebody should be used for a campaign?
0: Yeah, I think it's, and it's interesting, quite often, you know, there is a challenge back to clients or there's a realization of their own accord when you talk to clients and they will say, we need an influencer campaign, we want an influencer campaign. And you pull, you know, that strategy gets pulled together and the types of people we could work with gets pulled together and they're like, but I don't know any of these people. <laughs> like, you know, I can't relate to these people. Like, I mean, like Brad Pitt. And it's like, well, that's. It's funny, I think what has changed is like influencer campaigns are very much kind of a tangible service offering, but we are very much seeing a shift into working with people of influence and whether we work with them, we work with one, 10 or 500 of them for an above the line campaign, a digital campaign, a live event, a red carpet moment, it is Purely how we go about interacting with these people of influence that determines what you call it as as a as a job, like what we as an agency get hired to do.
1: And, and home for you is London, and but you're you're in the states often and elsewhere in the world. Talk to me about the differences in influence and types of talent um, that mm-hmm. break through in those two geographies.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think sport in the US is a very different uh, community focus because you have, you know, college football and you have much more localized events that are at scale, um, which we don't have so much. For instance, in the UK, we have our our football teams and they can get localized, but they don't really get down to that peer to peer level, um, which I think it happens more in the US. Um, I think that certainly there's a difference in influencers and who people look at and who people follow. And it's really important to have a team that not only uh, geographically but also culturally can look objectively at the type of people we should be working with to suit the brand and client's need because it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. And even if we're working in a category, say fashion, where – uh, you know, there are small but subtle brand variances when there are so many fashion brands out there. Actually, that means there's small but subtle uh, differences in the types of talent that you work with that to the outsider uh, may not be obvious. But actually, when you take a step back at the end of a campaign, and you look at maybe the tribe that you've pulled together or the group of people that you've worked with, you're like, oh, they actually do really stand for that brand. And if like, you would pulled that tribe together for another brand no matter how similar on the high street they may look, there is a subtle difference. And I think that's more the art of it, which is where it also comes down to kind of a blend of um, uh, hearts and uh, science. Mm.
1: And and you you mentioned fashion brands for a second. So as we're in the awards season, uh, every Q1, uh, who are those Must have or dream A listers that the fashion brands want to dress or be in and around of that do drive the gossip pages and the images.
0: So, I mean, yeah, our poor team, they're on like day 23 straight right now in awards season. And, you know, there is an end in sight, but it is really intense when you're working award season. I think, you know, what we work really hard to do is to work with our clients to quickly help them understand who's being nominated as soon as that hits, who we think is really going to be having a successful award season. And that's not just based on, um, you know, that's based on us then having those industry conversations with their teams and understanding where we think, you know, things are going to be, who's going to be hitting hard in different different moments. And I think, um you will always have the, um, you know, your Hollywood stars, your Charlie Theron, your Margot Robbie's and people like this and the big fashion houses are there. They've had those relationships, they're long-term relationships. But I think as well, we've got to remember, you know, it's also the upcoming talent, the people that are the winners in two years' time, three years' time, and beginning to cultivate those relationships. Because it's really important, Brandy, don't just come along and go, some brands do, and they're just like, Here, here's some money, and I want that relationship. And that doesn't really work, and I think it's really important to kind of begin building over time. So it's a slow burn, um, and then when it kind of generates success and you're, you're seeing those people wearing them on the red carpet,
1: it works really well. And those the stylists that are working for the Charlize Theron and, and Margot Robbie and others, those two now are people of influence as well, not just as a one-to-one with their client, but audiences are following Absolutely. them for their choices, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's more power to them. And you're seeing stylists beginning to take... Control and uh, utilize that opportunity that they now have, and they're building their own platforms. They're building personal styling platforms. They are—they're often the ones kind of helping brands, you know, negotiate how they're going to end up on on the talent. And I think they're in a real position of power um, to uh, affect choice and, and change. And they are often the ones that are responsible for that last-minute dress change. Mm. That's either going to make one brand, you know, go crazy with excitement and one brand go crazy with disappointment. So there's a lot of power with those stylists.
1: So stay with me on that. Give, give me a, an example of a person, <laughs> either a stylist, designer, but or go anywhere, photographer, architect, you name it, but someone... Of influence um, that really stands out uses content well has created uh, a platform for themselves and now one that that has an audience and brands uh, want to partner with.
0: Um, I think our client Giovanna Battaglia is a really great example. Um, she's now Giovanna Engelbert um, when having got married. Um, but, you know she's been in the fashion industry for a wonderfully um, kind of long-time building kind of her reputation as a stylist. And then what has been able to kind of move on from there is going more into consultancy uh, with brands in terms of brand aesthetic. And Mm -hmm. then it's also about creating your own brand. So she has a book um, which uh, is called Geography and it's different looks, different occasions, colors, seasons. And, you know, she was taking over the... um, fifth avenue store store windows with the launch of her book and it's a massive um brand uh, branding of herself in terms of putting herself on paper her looks her style um and, and making things you know current and fresh and and portraying you know how she sees the world through fashion
1: uh, an, an NBA basketball player here, Chris Paul, was on Bloomberg the other day, and he, he talked about the shift from being an endorser of a product to creating his own brand uh, and then mm. having brands come in to, under his platform. I mean, that's a bit of what you're saying with Giovanni. So I wonder, is that, a, is that a shift for everybody, or is it a shift when you just get to a certain point in your career?
0: it's really interesting because so many talent want to like have a brand build a brand be a sellable commodity and it works for so few people Mm. um or very niche and if people think that's how they're going to make money for the rest of their life they got another thing coming Mm. i mean like george foreman is probably one of the greatest success success stories of how to license your brand, and there is a generation of people that have no idea that he was a sportsman to begin with. They think of him with a lean, mean grilling machine, and that is just the evolution of a man and a brand. And that's probably more kind of outside of the US, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely that. That's a very powerful brand conversation as a result. But I also think you know, a lot of actors, a lot, and actors in particular can be quite hard to market into their own brands. They play characters. You know, you don't necessarily associate them in your life. You associate the characters that they play. So then when someone sells the Emma Shuldham t-shirt range, you say, well, I don't really know who she is. And what does that mean for me? Or I haven't bought into her. I've bought into the character that she plays. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And it definitely in our experience of when we've also done those kind of brand developments and those brand building it's like well you know agents will come to us all the time so and so wants their own row of suits or so and so wants their own denim brand or whatever it's like do they actually want to be the name of this brand and do they feel they've got the brand power to shift product and actually when you look at the data and you look at the numbers most of them don't and that's why collaborations are still very important
1: and, and, as, and they
0: won't yeah. get money for about a year, and no one realizes that until you're in it. You've got to sell stuff before you can make some money. Yeah. And then tell them like, oh, I'll take the money first.
1: That's right. Not only do you have to sell stuff to make money, sometimes you have to put money in yourself. Exactly. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a really nice, um, I think, reach for a lot of people. And then when they understand the reality of it, it's not so appealing. Hard work. DTC is really hard work. Direct to consumer. Like it's, it's not just finding a manufacturer. It's the marketing. It's the distribution. It's the constant conversation that you have to build. And are you prepared to use your own platform and use your own voice to do that? Um, it's it's a it's a big big undertaking.
1: And how do you adjust to the shift of social platforms? TikTok wasn't there two years ago. Vine was popular seven years ago. That's gone. In terms of not just campaigns, but finding the next talent or, or sharing with a brand how to use talent, where to use talent, what's the best type of content that's going to engage an audience? So,
0: just say that one bit again. What's the best type of talent to
1: an, to, to engage in, to engage with an audience? The type of content and the platforms.
0: I think. Oh, I think it that depends peer to peer. I mean, that depends on the age group, um, and that's why you still have to have that mix of like traditional print, traditional press. Um, you know, my. Parents don't know who half of these people are, and they they read the newspaper and they see things in the newspaper, or they'll watch TV and they'll see an ad on TV. And bless them, trying to still understand what I do, they'll be like, "Oh, I saw this celebrity in an ad on TV. Did you know about it?" But that's how they look at the world, you know. And then when I talk about influencer campaigns, this means nothing to them. Yeah. But brands still have to sell to them, and so it's really important to look at every kind of generation, every demographic and market accordingly. And so for TikTok, you know, it's and brands have to make sure they're not just jumping on the bandwagon. It's like, oh, TikTok's a new thing, we've got to do it. It's like, do you does that audience actually care about what that is now there's some brilliant use of tiktok i've seen one recently in the uk with uh, for it, with a politician which is what you'd never expect to see but it's a politician who's trying to make a conversation about climate change interesting and accessible, mm-hmm. and it's really cleverly done in terms of, okay, I need to actually communicate with the new generation and the upcoming generation that are the next generation of voters, and I need them to hear my view. It's a really relevant platform for you to be on. Um, and so I do think it's it's a wild west sometimes, but the brands that take the risk and the brands that dive in where it is appropriate,
1: they, they will reap the rewards. So, Emma, as we get into 2020, talk about your work with, you know, th- there's a lot of uh, localized companies, but with a global uh, umbrella, right? They're, they're, that's terribly sad. I'll keep it on pause. Um, <coughs> what, what I'm trying to get you to talk about is your ability globally that you can... Mm-hmm that you can do the strategy for these guys globally and execute Mm -hmm. locally, kind of to separate the business from others. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so maybe I'm going to throw it more to, you know, what is something that you're most proud of as we head into 2020 um, that separates you? And then you can answer it that way. Perfect. All right. So, Emma, as we head into 2020 and beyond, what are you most proud of uh, that your team's able to accomplish that sets you apart from others?
0: Uh, well, I think it started in 2019 when um, we kind of expanded the ITB brand to work and bring in amazing teams already existing in North America uh, from film, fashion, and first call. And we now have one global brand of ITB that are experts in working with people of influence. And I think what you really see as a result of that is that you see true geography of real people that really understand culture and different passion points and are able to execute things at from a $5 million deal to making sure j Lo's wearing on the red carpet at the Grammys. And I think it's really important to recognize that these executions from major campaign, influencer campaign, collaborations, uh, red carpet dressing, take different people with different relationships, um... There's a whole world and crew of people that sit around a person of influence and understanding who the person is to go and have that conversation with is part of what we do well. And I'm very excited about being able to really use that team to build and to also truly be able to say, we can do these territories. We can go global. We're not sitting in North America saying that. We're sitting in territories outside of North America saying that. And the nuances between a European market and a U.S. market are very different. Even from France to Germany to Spain is very different. And you know, helping people understand those nuances will only create value for the client.
1: And that's The Bond. Thanks for listening.